I was, I think I was about 12 years old when I volunteered to teach first and second grade Sunday school for a group of boys. And I, as I recall, my lesson plans came directly from Chick Tracks. <laughs> you guys remember those things that were kind of uh, turn or burn type? Of, so I kept those little boys, you know, attentive. But needless to say, I had a lot to learn as a teacher. But those of you who know my story, my testimony, that even since that time, I knew the Lord was calling me to be a teacher and have done so in Bolivia and here in the States. And I'm thankful for his calling in my life and for the calling in all of your lives. The problem is when you ask a teacher to preach, I have about four hours of notes. So, but thankfully, I've cut it down to about three and a half. So, no, seriously, I want to be very open-handed to what God has for us this morning. And I just want to turn to him one more time. Father, we just ask that you blow through, you be the captain of our ship, and you speak peace and calm to our hearts and minds to be able to listen to you, what you're saying to us. Thank you, Lord. So uh, one story that we often heard uh, in Sunday school was the Garden of Eden and the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's kind of how this whole mess got started, right? <clears throat> well, I want to talk about these two trees, but in a different way. There are implications for us every single day of our life. And we may have heard this in different ways, but I hope this will encourage you. We are people of the Spirit. Amen? At Catch the Fire, we're people of the Spirit, and I just want to encourage us in that more and more. The first temple of God was not the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon. The first temple of God was the garden, his creation, because he set up this environment for him to come and meet with his creation, man. And we, we get the implications from the narrative that they walk together and they talk together, they communed with one another. And in Moses' time, the pagan temples, they would often put a large statue inside with the image of their God that would reflect, you know, their idea of him. But not God, not our creator, Yahweh. When he built his temple, he put man there to reflect his image. So he shared his glory with us so that we might be before all creation, his image. We are his image bearers. Amen. So that's different than every other pagan god from antiquity in that all other gods were motivated by power and they hoarded their glory. Our God shares his glory and through us shows his glory. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9 where this story takes place. I think I have it on the screen there. All these scriptures will be in the NIV, so it makes sense. <laughs> the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. 
And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, those of you who have uh, studied uh, a medical field or human biology know that uh, if you could show the system of nerves and arterial system that is in our bodies, go to that next slide. What does that look like? We have two trees there, and then you have man. It looks very similar to a tree, doesn't it? Inside of man. In fact, the endings of your neuroreceptors that receive signals, they're the communicators, they're called dendrites. And in Greek, dendron means tree or little tree. They're actually forests of trees. So in, in essence, you're a walking tree. So in the first chapters of Genesis, we have God, the great arborist. I don't know what his fascination with trees are, but the, the Bible starts with trees. And the very last chapter is a tree. Our redemption was paid upon a tree. And we have all this language of roots, seed, fruit, leaves, all through the word. And I find it also fascinating that... It says God's voice was heard as a breeze through the what? Through the trees. And give me a little liberty here. Was that just the physical tree? Or was it through the tree of man as well? We know he heard the voice of the spirit. It could be, I think, if we stretch ourselves a little bit, the spirit blowing through the thoughts and the memories of man himself. So in reality, there were three very special trees. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge, and the tree of man. So turn to your neighbor and say, you're a beautiful tree. Or some of you may be like me, a Christmas tree who looks kind of nice, but you got a few bulbs that are missing. So, <laughs> Amra's going to that dad joke. Yeah. Now, the scriptures don't specifically say that Adam ate of the tree of life, but he was certainly permitted to eat of it. There was only one that was off limits, and we'll read that in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the, uh, the, the man, you are free to eat of any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So we don't know if he audibly heard these commands. I assume so. But when the scripture says that he breathed in Adam and he became a living soul, that, that word nephish in the Hebrew is a very loaded word. It not only means that he can think and be sentient, but that he has attraction. He has appetites. So we are a being that is attracted in one way or the other. And so at this point in the story, he's only attracted to God. He's only conscious of the Father. He, he has absolutely no attraction to sin and doesn't know what it is at all. And God is saying, I want to test your love. Because if you don't have a choice, it's not tested, right? And many say, why, why did he set it up that way? Well... Love is not love until it's tested, until you can rebel, until you can say no. 
So here's this tree, don't eat of it. When you do, your attraction will be to something else. So let's talk about this tree of knowledge. Actually, when I was preparing for this, um, I found a podcast titled, The Tree of Knowledge, colon, is marijuana. <laughs> and after I chuckled for a bit, I got to shoot my head, um, <coughs> nope, no, it's not. But anyway, the tree of knowledge, the off-limits tree. In order to provide the opportunity for man to pro prove genuine love, God makes this fruit. I don't know if it was in the fruit itself or just in his command, but he said, if you eat of it, you will be spiritually altered in your mind and your thoughts. That ability to sense the breeze of God's voice would be severely hindered. That is true death. He said, you will surely die. He's not talking about falling over, which they did not do. They did not fall over dead. Death means separation from him. And God does not command darkness and curse upon him. When you remove light from a room, it becomes dark. You do not need to put darkness there. So all he has to do is separate himself and darkness comes rushing in. Yeah, that's where evil comes from is it's anything that is misplaced or separated from God himself. It's a lack of consciousness of the Father. So we would be left with this fallen human reasoning. James said, we, the wisdom from this world is first natural uh, and demonic. It's earthly, natural, and demonic. We would be able to sense right and wrong, but without divine intelligence. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the man who depends on his conscience, reasoning, and his intelligence to make choices in life. For me, it almost perpetuates the lie that made him eat it in the first place. And that lie is that we can think like God without God. So once you eat of that fruit, that lie is perpetuated in your mind. That you can think like God apart from God. And so you look. Today, the philosophy, we know what happened. They, t they ate of the tree, and this mentality has set in for all humanity until Christ came. The philosophy behind huma humanism, the philosophy behind atheism, the philosophy of political systems, and many religions is that we can think like God without God. And it's fascinating to me to understand that all the diseases in this world have one thing in common. It's that they're all related to a cell or a protein that is missing information. Did you know that? And so when you have separation from God, that's where all the chaos and the destruction of the world comes from. And I believe we, we live in a Christian country, but many of our founding fa fathers looked at uh, the writings of Aristotle and Greek models of democracy to form their ideals. They depended upon a corporate morality in order for this democratic society to function correctly. Keep up with me now. They studied axiologies in the sense of where values came from. To then, if we could agree on certain rights and behaviors, 
for the greater good of the society, then we'll, we, we should manage okay. And that would be far better than some tyrannical system. And then, of course, we know Rome tried the tyranny, and they tried a democracy where we would try to agree on morality. These, these values are called mores, where we get the word morality. But even the founders knew that if you tried to form a system of mores without the backbone of the word of God, what would happen? We'd go off track, right? <clears throat> so the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil introduced us to morality. And you'll discover, as I shared tonight, I'm not a big fan of the word morality or even using the term Christian morality. Why? Well, dating back to Voltaire, he said the good is the enemy of the perfect, right? So whatever good we can come up with is not nearly close to God's perfect or his best. But the tree, this good and evil, this decision in our minds to rely upon our better judgment never satisfies. It's, it's never complete. And we know from a biblical view, it's impossible for us to have this so-called perfect morality because of spiritual separation from God. But I'm going to share a few, uh, delve into a few scientific things that prove we could never be objective on this either. Right under the center of your brain, in the middle, I call it the pit of the cherry, is your limbic system. And that's kind of your gateway to all of your senses. And the limbic system has a secretary sitting at a desk like this one right here. It's kind of writing everything down. Let's say uh, you have a slice of your favorite chocolate cake in front of you. You take a bite of that. There's a secretary in there writing down, oh, yes, or as it can say, yes, with a Y-A-A-A-A-S, uh, exclamation point. So, that, yeah, very enthusiastic. You definitely going to have to get this again. Perhaps even have a slice right now would be okay. Or as dad used to say, I need to even up that brownie just a little bit, you know. So you got that secretary writing this stuff down. Yes, this is a go. You definitely need to do this again. You know, conversely, somebody cuts you off on the freeway. It definitely lets you know you're not too happy about that either. A few choice words will come up in your mind to, to, to that crazy driver. Or you've learned to take the eight-second deep breathing, you know. <laughs> I admit that's one area that does test my Christianity. I've known some very sanctified people, but when it comes to traffic, they just about lose their Christianity every, every time. <laughs> so this limbic system is, is responsible for appetites, motivation, lack of motivation, depression, sexual response, social isolation. But despite all of its efficiencies... It's not equipped to make judgments about right and wrong. That's not even its arena. It doesn't care about right and wrong. All it cares about is the previous stuff that the secretary has written down and how it feels in that moment. So there is no parsing of what is right and wrong. 
the other area of the brain that's a major dis decision maker is the cortex, kind of the brains of the operation. Excuse my pun. Okay. <laughs> the cortex can only make judgments. It's, a, it's the one reasoning things out, and these are actually principles that you've been taught. This is how your mama raised you. All those things come back into your memory. The cortex can only make judgments or mathematical computing based on experiences. And often these experiences are associated with deep emotion and not necessarily on fact. A humanist wouldn't say this, but the cortex has a limited understanding of truth, whether we admit it or not. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness in God's sight. So it doesn't matter how many conferences you've been to or teaching you've sat under. We can never be objectively spot on on all truth. <laughs> Why is that? Because every single one of us, we're basing it off our own experiences and our, uh, how we've been raised in our environment. And of course, uh, the psychologist would know this, but uh, probably make excuses that we could get to a point where that would be sane enough to make objective choices, but that's just not true. Okay, so this is probably why Paul says to set your mind on things above. Why does it need to be set? Because as it stands where it is right now, the good is the enemy of the perfect. Whenever this system of morality and judgment becomes a way to relate to God or be a good person, we, we have a word for that, religion. And I think God has a very sophisticated word for this. Yuck! That's, that's terrible. He doesn't like it. That's what caused us to fall in the first place. And that's what perpetuates in us this performance and reward. For the limbic system, it's all about reward, right? And your cortex is telling you, perform to get reward. So every day, it's, it's, it's about this hamster wheel. The Pharisees were good at this. Using their judgment of good and evil in order to relate to God. And Jesus did not come to make us better humans. I know that statement seems a little bit off. But in reality, he came to restore our humanity. Can I hear an amen? amen. He didn't come to give you a better version of your broken self. He, he came to make you new. And ever, whenever we try to be like God without God, we actually break his heart. And we prove we're not seeing him to know him. Whenever the word talks about flesh, it's talking about this performance reward system that is a vicious cycle. That's either desire driven, which we call in, in the word lust, or approval driven, which is called pride. So it's very easy to turn the beauty of the gospel into a performance-based system. You can do it with anything. Masked under even a word like sanctification. Let's be careful not to do that. 
The flesh can make even the most spiritual experience into a performance reward. Performance reward. If I do this, then I'll get that. If I do this, I get that. And I feel better with God. There are many motivational speakers that, that can tap into that. Uh, the Tony Robbins of the world, you know, that make you feel better about yourself. And there, there's this neuroplasticity of your brain that they're, they're harnessing. And they know that they can, if they can make you think positively, they change your, your mindset. Uh, but even at the end of that, does that arrive at God's best? Probably not. There's only one that can actually restore the mind, not just rewrite some programming. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. It's his power of the Holy Spirit that not only changes the way you think, but it's actually restoring how your mind works and how you can relate to him through the Spirit. You know, you ask me, where is the Spirit? I don't know. That's a, the most mysterious thing to me. Where is the Spirit? But it's where it overlaps and I can touch in my mind the very voice of God. And he, he begins to restore and regenerate and renew that. It's like the garden is working again. My, my branches are extended and I can feel his breeze again. You know, that, that forest wasn't completely mowed over. But it was very damaged, and we're, we're in the process of replanting, and he's, he's pruning, and he's extending out so we can feel him again. All right, let's talk about the tree of life. Let's go to dessert here. Where does life come from? It comes from God. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. The tree of life is a picture of Christ and us in Christ. The tree of life draws life and sustenance from God. One verse that I'm sure we have read many times is the first chapter of Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or takes uh, a seat in the uh, company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, in Romans 8, what does it say our law is now? It's no longer the law of Moses. It's the law of the Spirit. And he meditates on the law day and night. So let, let me read that again. His delight is in the law of the Lord, the law of the Spirit. And he meditates on that law day and night. That person is like what? A tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. So in light of what we've just said, he does not take counsel with the morals of this world, the judgments of what's good and what's evil, the philosophies of men. He does not take counsel. Where does he go? To find truth and try, trying to find life in God. He is like a tree. And he's planted in the very stream of the Spirit of God. He is sustained in times of drought. And Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, I'm going to read 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, 
that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. What happens when we li live like a tree of knowledge and the trial comes? You, you, your wheels are spinning. The machine is going. Either the cortex or your limbic is just taking control. The dietitians say we have a third one. You know how you have more neurons in your, your gut than a lot of animals? It says those actually tell these what to do. I'm not sure that's true. That's scary. That means bacteria are running my life. But <laughs> I know there's a lot of factors that I can listen to and parse through. Okay, well, what is happening here? Why am I going through all of this uh, heat and drought? But it says he doesn't fail. He, he keeps bearing fruit. He's, he's still alive. He, he's still flowing with the very life of God in the very heat of the situation. And he's always bearing fruit. Jesus is called the second Adam. Because the first Adam, it says, was of the natural. Jesus showed us how to walk by the Spirit. His dependence was on God's word. He says, hey, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. He was a tree of life. He showed us how that works. And if we don't realize that when Christ saved us, that our morality, yeah, it's, we put it out the back door, it's no longer needed. It's actually a hindrance to us. Our ability to reason, done. My rights are done. Yes, I have free will to come to him. But once I come to him, I don't need that will anymore. I want his will to be my will, right? I, I surrender that. To, I surrender my reason to him. That, that's not a part of me. My dependence on my feeling, done. I'm done. I, I want to feel what he feels. He's an emotive God, so I, I don't expect there not to be emotions, right? If he feels uh, joy, if he, if he feels uh, compassion toward me, I want to feel that as well. My ability to craft new theologies, nah, done. I don't need that. <laughs> That's one of the reasons we have so many, you know, divisions among us. We've tried to think like God without God. We've tried to parse through and figure out and use our judgment. <clears throat> our redemption in Christ brings the process of restoring our trees so that we can feel that breeze again. We get reshaped. New saplings are planted. Our root taps into the river of life. That's a beautiful picture to me. And every day we have that choice. This is not just some cute story, okay, this is where sin came from. Every day, every moment, Right this moment, you have a choice. Am I going to be a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Am I going to try to figure out what is best for me? Or am I going to yield to him? Am I going to dig down deep in him and find him and receive life from him so that I begin to think like he thinks and feel like he feels? In 2004, I had an opportunity to take a master's course at, uh, over in Singapore. 
and that school was very influenced by Fuller Seminary and John Wimber and C. Peter Wagner. And one of the first questions they asked me are, are you a pneumatic Christian? And uh, to me, pneumatic means inflatable, like a tire. <laughs> but pneuma in Greek uh, actually means spirit. So I began to think, well, maybe better than our overused word charismatic, we should adopt this word pneumatic. Are you a pneumatic believer? Are you a pneumatic Christian? A pneumatic lifestyle, I should have it up there, is one that is sensitive to and in its constant communication with the Spirit. Are you a pneumatic Christian? A tree takes rays from the sun. It draws moisture from the soil. It is sensitive to temperature. It's like every possible way that you could sense what is around, that's what a tree of life does. A tree is in constant communication. Jesus says that he does nothing except he sees the Father doing it. So he didn't step outside of that bounds not one time. Why? Because he knew what was perfect. One thing that happens with a regenerated mind, he begins to show you what are the long-term consequences of what you're doing right now. Because it, it, as a tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can only see a few days, maybe a few weeks, a few years. God begins to show you eternal things through you. And Jesus said, for the joy set before him, for the joy, for the hope set before him, he saw the end. And so for him, it was, I'm going to stay in this line. I'm going to receive from the Father. I'm going to do what he says because I know how it ends up. I know where my destiny is. And Paul gave us that same excerpt. Fix our eyes on Jesus as if he's running ahead of us. He's in front of the race. He saw the end, and he continued. He was faithful. He says, fix your eyes on him. I'm looking at his backside, just following him in that direction because he's the author and the finisher of my faith. But it's so easy for us to fall back into performance reward. I even read the epistle of James, and it sounds like such a workspace letter. He mentions in one place, true religion is this, to feed widows and orphans. You can read that and say, oh, I need to be doing that more, right? Or faith without works is dead. You know, Martin Luther wasn't a big fan of James. He called it the epistle of straw. I think it conflicted with his doctrines of justification by faith. But it doesn't at all, does it? In fact, early in the chapter, he says, do any of you lack wisdom? Ask him or not. Well, that's a very rhetorical question, isn't it? <laughs> when do we not lack wisdom from God? Yeah, thanks for that reminder, James. Yeah. He also quoted the psalm that says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So what is our work? What is our to-do the only work, the only to do as a follower of Christ is to not work, to rest, and to yield themselves to the Spirit in everything. Now, am I implying that we're going to be perfect in that? 
No, of course not. In fact, this is a kind of a comfort for us to know this, that we're wired this way, because every day we can say, God, I did it again. I, I relied on my vessel of clay, what my brain was telling me to do. I want to get back in you. I want to get back in you. He says, be perfect as I am perfect. Not because that is something we aspire to, but it says, be a part of, be plugged into the one who is perfect. Okay? And just do that as often as you can. Be yielded to him. Say, I, I'm not going to depend on my best judgment today. I'm not going to figure this thing out. I'm not going to be a tree of knowledge. I'm going to be a tree of life. And we do this collectively. As I mentioned about the breeze, I picture us all as these trees sensing the spirit of God. But sometimes I only feel a puff. And Charmaine's over here getting a, just a gust of wind. So, you know, I, I, I draw near in the body of Christ to that, that person who is sensing him. And we compliment one another. We find him where his voice is blowing and that's what I want to see for us more and more. Let's let that grow in our personal lives. Let's be a tree of life. Let's be connected in him. But let's compliment one another as we're feeling him and we're sensing him. Let's encourage each other in that. Since Jesus ascended, he says he's preparing a place for us. But in the meantime, in the meantime, the spirit is preparing us for that place. He's preparing a place for us. The spirit is preparing us for that place. We are learning the culture of heaven now. We are learning to be trees of life, that draw life from him, because he says at the end of it all, when we're standing before his throne, we'll have access to a tree, to him. It'll be nothing new. Yeah, I did that. I did that. I received from you as I walked this earth. So I just want to give thanks to him He's given us opportunity and access to him. You know, you can ask the Lord for anything. There is nothing. If you want to ask him what brand of toothpaste you want to buy, he'll tell you. Yeah, He gives us liberty in so many choices. But if you want to ask, he'll tell you. He will tell you. And we really can give up our good judgment. We really can give up how we feel in that moment. And it's, it's not an effort of the flesh. Walking in the spirit just means I give up. I give up. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to strive. I am not going to work. And that is my work right now. Amen. So I just want to close with that. And, uh, perhaps we're sensing that we want to yield ourselves more to him. Let's share the breeze tonight. There's been several prophecies that uh, perhaps you're experiencing pain or a Needing healing, pass that over to David and Will. Well, thank you, Alan. So, yes, we have a choice between do you want to know about the good and the evil or do you want to be experiencing life? Thank you, Alan. So, um, while we are in pre-service prayer, we have a few words of knowledge we'd like to pray for people. First of all, if you want... If you know that you need to experience more of this life that Alan was talking about, we would love to pray for you up here personally. Uh, don't just go away thinking about it. Get somebody to pray for you. 
There was a word of knowledge for somebody who has arthritis in their right foot. Um, if that's you, we would love to pray for you, because if the Lord spoke it, then this is your time. Come on up and we'll, let's pray for you. Somebody who needs tuition. <coughs> somebody who needs tuition fees for a course or a training program. If that's you, we would love to, for you to come up and for us to bless you to see that released into your life. And another um, <clears throat> word of knowledge, somebody who has a lower back that was tweaked while getting out of a car after, after a car accident. So if you were in a car accident and afterwards you were getting out of the car, you seemed okay, but then you got a tweak in your back and you're in pain in your ba lower back because of it. <clears throat> the Lord knows about it and he's ready to heal you. So come on up and we will pray for you. In the meantime, why don't we stand? Holy Spirit, <laughs> Holy Spirit, we love your presence. Why don't you just close your eyes and hold out your hands for a minute. And we've sung a lot, we've said a lot, we've listened a lot, we've thought a lot. Holy Spirit, I ask, I ask that you would come and help us to sense like those trees to just feel your breeze. Come, Holy Spirit. It might be a palpable sensation on your hands or somewhere in your body. Maybe your heart's quickening. Maybe you feel the weight of his presence or the lightness of freedom in him. Holy Spirit, come. Do what you love to do. We know that you love the church. We ask, Lord, that you would come and that you would bring peace to our thought life with the mind of Christ. We ask that you would bring the heart of the Father to settle our emotions and to feel that hug of a loving dad. Holy Spirit, these are chosen vessels for your presence. I ask that you would come and that you would fill and that you would inhabit and that you would cleanse and that you would free and that you would lighten and that you would heal spirit, soul, and body. Lord, we ask that you would come. Holy Spirit, there he is. Holy Spirit, I ask that with the mind of Christ that you would settle the arguments in our head with the heart of the Father that you would heal our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want your breeze. Fill your people now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Healing in that foot healing in that back. Lord, I ask for a release of the finances for that tuition, for that training program. Lord, release it. And now just while you're in the moment, if the ministry team would come forward, these are folks who are released 
and trained to pray for people. So ministry team, come on up. And uh, I would encourage you to come forward to receive prayer. Okay, we got a foot. <laughs> All right. So, Father, I ask for your blessing to rest on your people, Lord, that we would walk out carrying the presence of Christ, first of all, to enjoy you, and then to give it away to others. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Hug somebody on the way out if you have to go. Make dinner plans. Make coffee plans. Meet up during this week. Let's be family. Amen and amen. If you would like prayer, please come forward. The Lord loves it when you take a step, and he will meet you in that. Come on up, and we will see you next week. Amen.